So over the, the last three weeks, and, and this is now the, the fourth week, uh, we have been going through numerous themes, uh, all related to the topic of, of discipleship. And for two weeks, we, we started off uh, talking about our identity as disciples. Who does Jesus say that we are? And then last week, Pastor Brad uh, got us talking about the values of, of discipleship. Uh, in, in other words, as people who are shaped by Jesus, what are we called to value, love, prioritize above all else? And, and one way I kind of like to think about this is if we sort of begin with the head, sort of our identity, the way we think of ourselves, we then sort of move to the heart, the heart of, of disciples. What is it that we as God's people love and value? And then next week we'll move on to, to the hands and the feet. What are the practices? What are the things that disciples are called to do? And last week, Pastor Malone, he talked about how one of our central values is this value of worship. That, that the Christian life is lived in constant worship. Just as we gather as God's people here to lift our voices in worship, so too we go out into the world and our lives are set apart for the worship. Not of ourselves, but of Jesus. Uh, of making his name known, lifting it high above, above all things. And so we're talking now this morning about our second value as disciples, and this is the value of community. Uh, community, I believe, is something that is central throughout all of the scriptures. This idea that God has for himself a people who are his and who accomplish his purposes in the world. Now, one thing that, that I notice uh, about myself, and, and I think about a lot of us, is sometimes we read the scriptures, and we sort of miss the point. And, and one of the reasons we miss the point is, is because the scriptures are written in a world that is very different than our own. There's certainly some, some similarities. Human sinfulness has just been there for a long, long time now. But, but when it comes to sort of our, our cultural views, our, our perspectives, our, our biases, things like that, we live in some very different worlds. And so sometimes when we read the scriptures, things like community are perhaps taken for granted. But when we read the scriptures, we read from a perspective that is at times very different. And the perspective is this perspective of individualism. You've probably heard this ism spoken of before. Basically what individualism is, it is any idea that emphasizes the worth of an individual over that of any community or, or social group or anything like that. It's this notion that the individual is primary. Right? And, and where this sort of all stems from, I'm going to take you on this boring philosophical lesson, so if you need a nap, now's the time, sorry. <laughs> but where this came from is, is from a man by the name of René Descartes. Descartes was a 17th century philosopher. It would have sort of been for us Lutherans during the latter half of the Reformation was kind of his primary time of, of writing and teaching. And Descartes asked this question, ultimately, of how do I know what's real? How, how do I know what I see isn't just sort of a figment of my imagination? How do I know that everything I taste, touch, all of my senses, how do I know it's not just this thing that's going on inside of my head, right? You think of the movie The Matrix, right? 
How, how do I know that everything is not just this projection by the matrix and I'm just sort of being lied to by my senses? And so he, he went through this sort of this sense of, of radical self-doubt. And, and what Descartes was led to was this notion that I may not know what is real. I, I may not know that, that you, this, this, the, peep, the crowd of people in front of me, are actually real. You may all just be taking place inside of my brain. But I know for sure that one thing is taking place. Thinking. I know that, that I'm thinking. And I can at least know that that is true, which then led Rene Descartes to this common phrase that perhaps you've heard. If you haven't heard of Descartes, you have heard the phrase, I think, therefore, I am. That was his way of saying, I know there's one thing that's real. And that is me, the one who's doing the thinking. Now, whether he intended this or not, what ended up sort of following is this notion that the individual is at the center of reality. Because me as an individual, I'm the only thing that I actually know is real. Now, you could probably see that there's maybe some concerning things that, that flow from this. But it's not necessarily an inherently evil idea. For example, the notion that individuals should all have equal protection under the law. You know where that flows from? It flows from individualism. It flows from saying, okay, every single person should be given equal protection. That society should not be able to just throw someone to the dogs because they decide it's best for them. Now, we've certainly seen instances where individuals do not get equal protection under the law, but we have a word for this. It's called injustice. And we try to fight against it, and we try to work toward a more just society. So individualism, it, it perhaps does have some benefits. We can grant that, but we can also see where it has some problems. Because from an individualistic point of view... Our primary value is always going to be what? Me. Me. My wants, my needs, my hopes, my dreams. The individual becomes primary. And too often, what's best for those around me can often be shoved to the side. So when I do things like I decide I'm going to spend my money in this way with no regard for my family and those I'm called to take care of, I've adopted this notion of individualism. That I want that, therefore I should have that. And we see this kind of thing all over culture, right? This is what marketing and advertisements is all built around. It's selling you this notion that you are primary, you are central, you are the first and foremost value in your world, and therefore if you get this product, then you will be happy. Then you will have the life that you've always wanted. We see it oftentimes, you'll maybe see it in, in people's approach to, to politics. Is that regardless of, of political position, sometimes we mistakenly adopt the stance of, I'm going to vote for the person who's going to take care of me. 
And that ends up being the central question which, with which we examine policies and everything else, is, is what's in this for me? Or, or we see it in, in this notion that, that we should just sort of live the lives that make us happy. And anything that gets in the way of me and my happiness and the things that I want in life are evil and therefore ought to be rejected. But it's not just this problem that exists out in the world because I think all of us recognize that it's a problem that touches every single aspect of our lives. We've all adopted this. We've all been shaped by this notion of individualism, whether we recognize it or not. And all too often, it ends up impacting our spirituality. Is that our faith begins to be reduced to just this notion of of God and me and God being the vehicle for me to realize who I am, for me to achieve the things that I want. And and we can just reduce our faith and and the songs that we sing to nothing more than than songs and, and thoughts about me and Jesus and the life that he has given me and me alone and the church and the community of God's people that I've been placed in become secondary or absent altogether. We see this most evidently in in what uh, researchers call this idea of moralistic therapeutic deism. Uh, Years ago, there there were uh, researchers, they did this poll of of youth growing up in the Christian church. And asking some questions, they found that that what the, the faith of youth in the church reflected was not so much sort of historical Christian doctrine, but it was this notion that there is a, a generically good God who wants me to be happy, and, and if I'm a fairly good person, then I'll go to heaven when I die. See, what that's the center of this faith is this notion of God just wants me to be happy. God just wants to give me the things that I want. God just wants me to pursue the things that I want to do. And there's really virtually no connection to this notion of a community of faith that I've been made a part of. And I don't just mean to sound like this grouchy old man who's really not that old. (laughs) But I think the the big problem with this is not just that the, the community of the church gets kicked aside. But what happens is when we have an individualistic spirituality, what we miss out on is that there is this profound blessing that the Christian church offers to us. That the community that we have been made a part of, this community of God's people that he has gathered together for his purposes, is this profound blessing for our faith. It is not a hindrance to us. It is not a hindrance to our spirituality. It is a gift for our spirituality. I want to just go back to the scriptures. Our epistle lesson this morning was from 1 Peter chapter 2. There are probably some familiar words in there for you, but 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter writes these words to the Christian church, and, and we're told at the very beginning of 1 Peter that he's writing to both Jews and Gentiles who are throughout kind of the province of, of Asia Minor. And this is, so this is written to a people who come from a variety of backgrounds. There's Gentile believers. There, there's Jewish 
believers present, people who were once divided. Peter writes to them and now treats them as if they have been made one singular people. Here again the way that he writes. 1 Peter chapter 2, I'm going to pick it up at verse 4. He writes, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For as it stands in Scripture, behold, I am laying a stone in a Laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. There at the beginning of that section, Peter writes this you, you, as you come to him, you yourselves, right? You see all through this section, you, 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 you. Now, I think because we've been shaped by this notion of individualism, we often read this you as singular. Who's the you referring to? Me. But throughout this whole section, and and we see this all over the scripture, the you here is plural. It's one of the benefits of some other languages is it's clear that it's not talking to an individual here. It's talking to a group, a community of individuals. Right? Maybe the southerners have it right. Y'all. As y'all come to him. I, no, I'm, no. That's... that's <laughs> but as you all, as all of you, as the community of God's people come to him, As you come to Jesus, this living stone who was rejected by men but chosen by God, you all together are being built up as this spiritual house, as this priesthood that is intended to accomplish God's purposes in the world. You are not a spiritual house by yourself. You, as a living stone, are a part of this spiritual house that God is building up. You each are priests, part of this priesthood that God has set apart from the world for the sake of the world. It is together that the house of God fulfills God's purposes in the world. You don't have to go it alone. But instead, together, you work Together we labor and offer these spiritual sacrifices. You know, what's interesting here is that if the whole church is a priesthood, who are the sacrifices for? Think about Israel. In Israel, you had priests who offered sacrifices for whom? For the rest of Israel. If all of God's people are priests, the sacrifices that we offer are not for us. They're for the world. We have been given this role in the world by God as a community that he has called to himself to go about and intercede for the world and accomplish what God has set us apart 
to do. Right, Peter, he continues in verse 9. He says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Right, remember, Peter is writing to both Jewish and Gentile believers, and he's saying, once there was this division, once you weren't one, but now you are one. And it's not on the base of, of race or national or ethnic identity, but it is all on the basis of the blood of Jesus. We are all knit together as one body because we all share one thing in common. That we are people that God has called out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We are all people that God has redeemed through the blood of his son Jesus. And because of that blood, we have been knit together as one people, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, so that we would go and make that grace known. That is what the community of the church is intended to look like. You see, I think there's essentially two reasons that we as disciples value Christian community. And the first is this. It's right there in that text from 1 Peter. And it is the church realizes its God-given potential when we are working together in community. The church realizes its God-given potential when we are working together in community. And then the second is this. Individuals realize their God-given potential when they are shaped by Christian community. I'm going to go back to that first one for just a moment. The church realizes who we are made to be when we're working together in community. I Think for a moment your own story of coming to faith. Think about it, just in your head, just, just, just think about what that looked like. It, it may have been a multitude of things. It might have been you were baptized as an infant, your parents raised you in the faith, and, and you just, this was your reality. Perhaps you came to faith uh, later uh, because of someone you were dating, you maybe married into the faith. Or, or maybe you had a friend who cared enough about you to, to share the message of Jesus with you. But whatever it was, none of us came to faith on our own. How did we come to faith? We came to faith through God working through his people. That's how the church realizes its potential. When the church works together, we do what God has called us to do. The gospel continues to go forth. When the church does things like send missionaries, equip people to share their faith, when we gather together and in worship and lift up the name of Jesus, we do what God made us to do. This was never intended for us to be on an island by ourselves doing our own thing. The church realizes its potential when we are working together in community. Think, even if you were to pick up a Bible 
and just start reading and be like, oh, I believe this now. Where did the Bible come from? I mean, yes, we believe that it is the word of God, but who wrote it? It was God's people doing what they had been called to do. It was the community of faith, writing, speaking, apostles, prophets, all the people that God had given to the church, working in and through and for and with the church to do what God had called them to do. That's what it means to be a part of the church. It means to be a part of this community that works together to accomplish God's purposes in the world. And I don't necessarily believe that the goal of this is for us to sort of come to some sort of self-realization about who we really are. But while that may not be the goal, I do believe that it ends up being a byproduct. And that's the second point, is that I believe that individuals realize their God-given potential when they're shaped by Christian community. You you begin to realize who God has made you to be, not by going and locking yourself into a room and thinking really hard about who am I and what do I like to do. No, you realize it when you are rubbing up against God's people, when you're being shaped by them, when other people are speaking into your life, you begin to learn more about yourself. Uh, there's, there's a quote from a book that I, that I really, really like uh, called Resident Aliens. It's written by a man named Stanley Hauerwas. And, and here's what he says Christian community does for people. He says, what if our true selves are made from the materials of our communal life? Where is there some self which has not been communally created? By cutting back our attachments and commitments, the self shrinks rather than grows. So an important gift the church gives us is a far richer range of options, commitments, duties, and troubles than we would if left to our own devices. Without Jesus, Peter might have been a good fisherman, perhaps even a very good one. But he would have never gotten anywhere, would never have learned what a coward he really was, what a confused, then confessing, than courageous person he was, even a good preacher when he needed to be. Peter stands out as a true individual, or better, a true character, not because he had become free or his own person, but because he had become attached to the Messiah and Messianic community, which enabled him to lay hold of his life, to make so much more of his life than if he had been left to his own devices." We become more of ourselves when we are yoked to the Christian community, not less. We don't become more of ourselves just by pursuing our own desires and interests. We become more of ourselves when we're shaped by the community of God's people that we've been made a part of. I don't know what I would be like if it wasn't for the church. I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be living the sort of meaningful life that God has blessed me with. I wouldn't have been sent to this place, which is one of the richest blessings I've been given and my family has been ever been given. And I think many of you sitting here can attest to that same thing, that you are more of yourself. You have discovered who you are, not because you threw off the church, but because the church embraced you and shaped you 
and spoke the promises of Jesus who was crucified for you. Not only does the church fulfill its mission and realize its potential when we live in community, but you discover your potential when you are embraced by the Christian community. And it's not because the Christian community is a bunch of extraordinary individuals. But it's because of the one who lives at the center of this community. It's the one who has made this community one through the gift of baptism. It's the one who has brought this community together by shedding his blood to make it possible. It's the one who prayed that we would be one as the Father and the Son together are one. This community, every Christian community, the church is what it is because of the Savior who lives at the center of this community. Amen?